Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. It is um, such a pleasure to be here today. I am an American descendant of enslaved Africans. And Sunday morning has always been a wonderful time. So historically, it is the day that even in the midst of oppression, we were able to experience liberation. And so it is an absolute pleasure to be with you today. Um, And I hope that there is something celebratory um, about my message today and that you will um, also know that whatever you may be bound with, um, whether it's traditions, ideologies, systems, people, or habits, I've come today to proclaim that there is liberty for the captives. Amen. Amen. So I want to really thank... um, all of your pastors, but the one who was so diligent about getting me. I really wanted to be here, and I had hoped that I would have been here weeks ago, um, and we couldn't make it happen. So thank you so much for being patient um, and diligent in working with me. There are opportunities and seasons that God gives me in life and people, um, and today I have sharing with me uh, my beloved Kiera, who is kind enough to follow me from the west side to the south side to the north side and all of the places in between that God calls me to. I want to take a moment um, and just pray. I am so excited about what God is doing in the universe through his people. God, I pray right now that you would quiet our hearts, that you would give us a peace that we may find your word and it would fall on good ground. God, I pray that the soil um, inside of us is stirred up, that we may accomplish the thing that you've called us out to do. In your son's name, amen. I'd like to challenge us um, with this thought today. Allow fear to spark a movement. Allow fear to spark a movement. As a child, I don't ever remember being afraid of anything, not the dark. Um, I was not afraid. Some of my friends were afraid of clowns. I was not afraid of clowns. Um, A few of us um, were afraid of closets. I don't ever remember being afraid of closets or scary things that go bump in the night. That was not my fear. Um, But I did grow up crippled by fear, and the fears that I had were very different. Um, From my earliest memory that I can recall, um, I feared that my dad would leave me at preschool. He was often late, and so I always feared that one day he would never return for me. On the 4th of July, I lived in subsidized housing. My mom had all of our food on the grill, and somebody came and stole all the food off the grill. And so from that moment forward, I was fearful that I would die hungry. When I was 11 years old, my grandmother passed from breast cancer, and I spent all of my teenage years thinking that someday I would die of breast cancer. 
there was a little dark space in between the two buildings that I lived in in St. Louis. And in that dark space, there were all kinds of rumors and reports of the horrible things that happened in that space. And so growing up, I would run past that space because I was afraid, fearful that the things that I had heard about would one day happen to me. So while I have been delivered from fear, obviously I am still here. My dad did not desert me forever. He came back every day and picked me up from preschool. I did not die of break, um, breast cancer, and as you can see, I have not missed a meal. <laughs> And so this idea of fear um, often is able to cripple us. And so while I'm not afraid of any of those things that I talked about before, there are days where I am literally paralyzed by fear. And I have to summon in my memory every verse that I have memorized to help me move forward. I want to share a story of um, two people who actually responded to fear in different ways. My story is rooted in the first chapter of Exodus, and in that chapter, um, we see some amazing things take place. But just to give you a review, the first chapter of Exodus opens up with Joseph and all of his brothers being dead. Um, there's no one left from that generation. Their descendants have multiplied um, in Egypt, and they have grown in prosperity. There is also a new pharaoh who is in charge to has decided that he is not at all pleased with the way that the children of Israel have multiplied, and he has decided um, that he will enslave them. In Exodus, the first chapter, the 10th verse, he says, we must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. His fear is what I call fear personified. He had no reason to believe that the children of Israel would be a threat, but he knew that he needed a plan. And that plan that he devised included two women, two Hebrew midwives, their names, and I love the fact that God gives us um, names for them. Too often in the Bible we see women who have done historic things that go nameless, but we are given the name of Pua and Shipra. Pua and Shipra over the last several years have become my heroes. They are the first act of courage that is recorded in the book of Exodus. Um, and so I want to start with this first point that you and I have to recognize that we have power to affect change. Recognize that we have power to affect change. When I think about who we are, the places and the spaces that we represent, um, whether we are a preschool mom or an accountant, a market analyst, a grandfather, a plumber, a consultant, no matter what our plot in life is, each of us have an opportunity to affect change. So I want to ask a question. 
Where are you currently positioned? And what ways can you create change? Are you in a position to hire citizens who re-enter from prison? Can you push more against the lending institution that you work for to create equitable spaces and places? Can you serve a meal? Can you tutor a child? Can you create a website? Can you develop a plan? What resources can you leverage on behalf of someone else? Here's where I think we often um, get ourselves into trouble. We think that change is going to happen at the hand of someone else. And I want to submit to you today that wherever you are and what you already have is enough. The midwives had to make a decision. The plan that Pharaoh had for them included them killing every born son and leaving the girls. They had to decide that they would use what they already possessed and the courage that they had to summon from their internal resources to make a change. Proverbs, the, 32nd, uh, the third chapter, verses 27 through 28 says this, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say come back tomorrow, then I'll help you. These two midwives knew that they had to act, and I believe that that is the same response that God is calling for from you and I, that it is immediately required that we respond to what we see around us. Second thing I'd like to share is that sometimes the enemy would like to pervert um, our position and contaminate our power. And you might be thinking, what the heck is that and what are you talking about? Pharaoh wanted to use the position that the midwives had. In fact, scripture is very clear. When he begins to talk to them in verse 16, he says that he wants them on the stool that they sit as soon as the babies are born, if it is a boy, to decide to take the life of that child, and if it's a girl, to save it. They had a role that was intimate. They were close. The midwives' um, instructions for the moms afterwards were not just important for them bringing life um, to be, but it was also for sustaining life after it was here. And so these midwives were able to do and in a position that nobody else in Egypt was in. And so sometimes it's the if. If we look back at um, what the, um, the Pharaoh had to say, and I thought it was interesting because he says, we're going to make a plan. And if we don't, and if war breaks out, too often you and I live in the if, the if I don't have enough, what will I do? If I am not accepted or received, how should I act or respond to the things that I see around me? And if I'm not able to do it the way that somebody else has done it, I can't be a success. And so I want to tell you not to allow the enemy to try and pervert your position, contaminate your power, 
with the if. You have exactly what you need to do what God has called you to do. Sometimes I think about our positions. I think about our titles. I think about history and the ways that um, even ethnically we have been called, um, the narratives that have been created around us, and how if we are not careful, we can allow those things to prevent us from doing the very thing that God has called us to do. Second Peter, the first chapter, verses three and four says this, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption by human desires. Sometimes the if is the weapon that the enemy uses in our lives for his perversion. Third thing I want to leave you with is to be defiant. Be defiant, boldly resistant or challenging. The world needs more disciples who are defiant. Defy the culture. Galatians, the third chapter, the 28th verse says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. How can we overcome the polarization that we are experiencing in our country? It means that you and I have to decide that we will defy the culture, that we will develop relationships that we will be authentic and transparent with people who don't look like us, who don't worship the way that we worship, who don't live in the same zip code, and who may possibly have a different ideology. When the Apostle Paul talked about us being able to accept the fact that in Christ there are no ethnicities, there are no genders, it was for the body of Christ. And I am often um, confused about how within the body, I'm not talking about the people who are outside of the body. We expect confusion there. But inside the body, there is division. And so I want to encourage you to defy the culture when it comes to gender and all of the narratives we've created around gender and around race and around faith. Secondly, I want to say defy the odds. Here's what I've learned, um, a lot of things. Um, but there's one thing in particular that um, I think that God is developing more and more. When I think about the odds, 
odds for me really are just facts. Those are the things that um, people gather together and they survey so that they're able to make their point for or against something. And we say we were able to do this despite the odds. Can I tell you that the odds are stacked against us? The odds are stacked against us. As believers, the world is already saying that we are not impactful, that the things that we live for are irrelevant, and that we as a people are divided. So the odds are already against us. But can I tell you that I turn to the back of the book and we win? We win, y'all. That is the good news, that we win. And we win because odds are facts. And facts don't always equal the truth. The fact of the matter is that we serve a God, a Savior who was born through a Virgin Mary. The fact is that virgins don't have babies, but the truth of the matter is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the son of Mary, a virgin. Facts don't always equal truth. The fact of the matter is that men don't rise from the dead, and they certainly don't walk around after they have risen, having dinner with the people that they lived life with. But the truth of the matter is we have a resurrected Savior who got up on the third day and declared power. And so I need us to defy the odds, whatever the odds are in your individual situation, whatever the odds are in East Garfield Park or in your own personal spaces, you need to know that truth does exist and truth always triumphs facts. Here's a bonus scripture, and I get excited about this one. In Exodus, the 21st um, verse, it says this, And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. And so I love this idea that because they were able to put their fear for whatever the Pharaoh could do on the back burner, the idea that they feared God more, more that God blessed them. And listen, I recognize that blessings don't always come in material things, although I am awfully grateful when they do. What we know is that when we follow God's lead, when we are obedient, we get increased joy. We get increased faith. We are able to enter into our tough seasons with a renewed strength and a renewed interest. There is a felt presence that we have when we are obedient to God's word. And my granny would simply say, it always pays to serve Christ. And so we see for these widow, uh, for these midwives, their ability to put fear aside, and to lean completely into the fear of God set them up to be a deliverer for a nation. 
the passage um, we read in Isaiah, I love that. Um, I love that passage because it is a, a, a very bold reminder for you and us that even when hands go up in praise and worship, that there is an expectation that those hands are clean. And so you and I don't get um, an opportunity to divorce our worship, our praise, our song, our religious practices from what God requires of us as it relates to our neighbor. I get excited sometimes about the King James Version because the language is not at all sanitized. God basically says to them that I am sick and tired of you. He says, bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. He says, I cannot away with. And sometimes I get stuck on that scripture because I have two girls. And sometimes I want to just tell them I cannot away with. <laughs> This is how God is actually responding to this idea that Israel thinks it's okay to lift their hands and to have their rituals and practices and have their hearts far away from him. He says, when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes, my eyes from you. When you make many prayers, I will not hear. As we talk about blessings for those who obey, there is a stiff penalty for those of us who think that we can get away without doing what God has called us to do. He says, I cannot away with, I don't hear your prayers, and I do not respond. He says, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, and cease to do evil. So God outlines the problem here. And here is the connection between what I think is happening um, in Exodus, the first chapter, and what God is saying here. The Hebrews had customs. They had rituals and they had ways of protecting and keeping the Sabbath. But that didn't mean anything to these two women because they recognized that in order to truly keep those things in their heart, they had to respond when there was a need. This is the response that God gives to the children of Israel. He says, you've done all of these things. Now do this. He says, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, and plead for the widow. I don't know how more plain God could get and telling us how you and I are to respond to our neighbor. I want to tell you that it's time for a revolution. It is time for us as believers to bust our own move. It is time for us to put aside the religiosity, the Christianese, and it's time to do exactly what God has commanded. When I think about um, what these two women were doing, I get excited because it's the first chapter of Exodus and God is going to use a lot of people to do a lot of things. But if these two women had not responded 
responded in obedience, those other things wouldn't have happened. Had they decided that they would have feared Pharaoh, we couldn't have gotten Moses. And so it was these women who decided in the first chapter, before we get to the second chapter, where Moses' mom puts him in a basket and sends him downstream, none of that could have occurred had these two women not decided that they feared God more. And so when I talk about starting a revolution, um, thinking about how we bust our move, we can look back at the three points that I've just delivered, and those are just strategies, strategies that I wanted to present as a way of thinking about how you and I learn to do good. What are the ways that we remove the things that prevent us from responding to God's call? Here are two really quick things. And this is the crust for me of Exodus 1. You and I have to believe that God is to be feared. We have to believe that he is to be reverenced and that he is respected. Everything else flows from there. They were able to be courageous. I am able every day to move beyond my fear because I first believe that he is to be feared. Secondly, we have to determine how we're going to respond. We have two responses every day of our lives. We can respond in fear or we can respond in faith. These two women decided that they would respond in faith. Here's what we know that God knows everything. He knew you would be seated here. He knew I would be standing here before the foundation of the world. Nothing catches him off guard. And so Jesus says, you don't have enough faith. He says, but I tell you the truth, if you have faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could speak to the mountain and the mountain would be removed. It doesn't even matter how large or small the faith of these two women were. Jesus reminds us that if you and I have just a tiny bit of faith, I went on my own journey and I wanted to find a mustard seed and I found one and I could barely hold it in my hand and see it. And so Jesus says to you and I, if we've got that much faith, we can do the things that he has called us to do. We can seek the best interests of our neighbor. And here's where I get excited, is that as much as I'd like to be a trailblazer, we really are not. There is a history of people who have gone on before us. By faith, God helps us to produce and bring forth that thing he has called us out to do. The same way that he has done it in the past. By faith, Abel brought a better sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so he didn't have to experience death. By faith, Noah condemned the world and became heir to righteousness. By faith, 
faith, Abraham responded to God's call and went to a land that he didn't know that later became his inheritance. That happened by faith. By faith, when Abraham was tested, he was able to offer up Isaac. And listen, no matter how irritated I get with those two teen girls in my house, I don't ever think I would be able to freely offer them up as a sacrifice without faith. By faith, Joseph saved a nation from famine and led them into prosperity. That happened by faith. By faith, Moses delivered his people out of Egyptian enslavement. By faith, the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. By faith, the widows um, got her son saved. By faith, Rahab was not killed with the other disobedient people of her city. By faith, y'all, kingdoms have been conquered. Justice has been administered. Promises have been received. The mouth of lions have been shut. The fury of the fire has been quenched. The edge of the sword escaped. Weakness has been turned into strength. By faith, Enemies have been rerouted. Women have received back their dead to life. By faith, those who have been faithful have been able to be victorious. And these were Old Testament saints who did not get to see the promise of our Christ fulfilled. But by faith, those things were accomplished. And I'm so glad that God had something better in mind for you and I. You and I get the fulfillment of the promise in his son, Jesus Christ, whose very life and death on the cross conquered it all for us. All of our fears, all of our insecurities, all of the excuses you and I could use for not doing what he's called us to do. 